0: up Freedom House. Good to see everybody. You look good. Turn to your neighbor and say you look way better than you did last year. Just look at them. Way better than you did last year. I had to throw that in there. Isn't that funny? Not funny at all. We also want to welcome all of our live streamers from Georgia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Florida, Virginia, Michigan, and Vermont. Thank you for fixing that because last service it said VT and I said Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, any Virginia Tech fans in the house? All right, we got two. All right, all right. (laughs) See, I went to the school that didn't have a football team, so it was just sad for me. Good basketball team, but a terrible, well, they didn't have a football team, so. Um, Hey, I want to mention just shameless plug of my new book that I just finished. It took me about two and a half years to write this book. When when we first moved to Charlotte, um, and by the way, if I haven't met you, if you're new to Freedom House, my name is... Uh, Troy, my wife and I are the senior pastors here. Uh, your campus pastors, Pastor Stephanie, stand up, Pastor Stephanie, she's here. Uh, Pastor Aaron's not here. They're in a little argument right now, so we'll just pray for him. And so we're wondering why he's not here. Maybe she told him he needed to stay home from church today, which is not a good idea, by the way, for you to make your husband stay home. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm joking. They're not fighting. Maybe, you know. <laughs> Um, what was I talking about? My book? My book. So 21 years ago, almost 22, we moved to Charlotte. And what I did is I bought a new Bible. Now, I'm, I love the Bible, so I'm a word reader. I read it every day, been doing it for, you know, 30-plus years. love to read the Bible. And so Bibles for me, are very significant. So when I left Richmond, I gave my old Bible away, which was very difficult because it was a very special Bible, it was out of print, that particular style of Bible was out of print, and it had all my notes in it, you know, because this was before, you know, I, I got saved before the internet was big, so, you know. And so you didn't have the internet to go to, and you didn't have another source for scripture, and so it was my way of teaching, like I would use my Bible to teach, I'd write notes everywhere. So I gave it to one of the kids that I was mentoring, moved here, got a new Bible, My goal in the new Bible was to learn, relearn a relationship with God. So I read Genesis all the way through Revelation. And one of the big things that jumped out at me is how I saw the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I saw Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3 in a way I'd never seen it before. And for the last 21 years, that's my lane. Like, people ask me, what is your lane of preaching? If you said, hey, you could preach on anything, I'd preach on the Holy Spirit. And so what I did is I I decided to write a book that would help Christians understand how to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. How to how to understand, okay, why should I be why should I speak in tongues? Is it important to my life? How how do I connect with him? And so it's an easy read, it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry. It'll help you in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It'll lead you to a relationship with Jesus, but also help you in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So pick it up today. Uh, it's not even available yet on Amazon or any of those other outlets. It's only available to the church today, and we're, we're doing it for $20. Um, all the proceeds, by the way, we, Penny and I never make any money from any of the books that we sell. We always and have decided from the very beginning in all the books that we've written, everything goes right back. Any proceeds, any profit goes right back into the uh, into missions budget for the church. And so, I want you to understand. You know, I, I don't write books so I can be a New York Times bestseller. I write books because I want to help and resource people. Amen. So, who wants this one? Raise your hand if you want this one. Well, go out there and buy it. They're twenty dollars. Look, a lot of you want it, so go out there and buy it. I'm joking. If you want it, come get it. Whoever wants it, you gotta come get it. You gotta hurry. You gotta hurry. Oh, make sure he gets one. Make sure he gets one, because he was active. You gotta, you gotta put steps to your faith. Steps to your faith. Where are my men at? Where are my men? Hey, tomorrow at, I think it's 7 a.m., We're going to have a time. I'm coming to this campus. We're going to have a time of prayer as men, just men, just guys together. Make sure you show up 7 a.m. You know, Change your schedule out. Do what you need to do. It's just one day. We gather together. Come here. Show up at 7 o'clock. I got a small little teaching I'm going to do for you. It's not a big time. It's going to be less than an hour. We'll be together, pray together, all that good stuff. All right, so I want to throw a picture up on the screen, and I want to say, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want to ask you, can you see it? Can you see it? Just look at it. Uh, by the way, it took my wife and I about 20 minutes. She never saw it, just saying. I saw it. Now, I did cheat because I saw what you're supposed to see in the picture. This is called an autostereogram. And there is another picture inside of this picture. There's a. This is a 2D picture, but if you look at it in the right way, how many, anybody see it yet? Do you see it, anybody, anybody? Maybe, you're kind of halfway up. Couple kids see it. Maybe, no. Well, I cheated. There's a shark in there. Now, it's difficult to see, but the interesting thing about it, take it off the screen now, take it off, because I don't want you to be looking at that the whole time. All right. (laughs) The interesting thing is once I saw it, I could not unsee it. I mean, I could not stop seeing the shark in the middle of the picture. Now, if you want to figure it out, just go online, Google it. You'll find stereogram. or you can look at it later and have fun with it. There's lots of them. What's interesting about the Bible and the kingdom of God is there is a very intentional thing that God wants to do in our life, that he wants us to see ourselves and to see our life the way he sees it. He, and I believe this year, specifically, and we're gonna spend the next few weeks as a church asking ourselves the question, can I see it? Can I see uh, an expanded vision for my life? Can I see uh, the kingdom in a different way? Can I see my marriage in a different way? Can I see the way God sees my calling in life? Well, maybe extend the view the way I see people In Ephesians chapter one, Paul makes this prayer and he says, but I do more than just think. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent. This is Paul praying for you and I. To make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Verse 18, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. This is, this is our prayer for you. This is Paul's prayer for you. And this is what I believe God wants to do in our life. He wants us to see clearly so, so you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him Endless energy, boundless strength. And let me tell you, when you see it, you'll never unsee it. When you see who you really are in God, you'll never be able to unsee it. And the whole Bible is filled with God wanting us to see how he he sees us. We were made in his image. So let me ask you, can you see yourself breaking through this year? Okay. Can you see God through the eyes of relationship and not religion? Come on. Can you see the calling God has for your life? Yes, yes, I do. Can you see the world in a different way? Now, why can't we see it? What is it that blocks us? What stops us from being able to see it? Well, most, if not all, of the problems that we faced face as human beings is found in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, chapter, uh, chapter 3, all describe to us kind of the beginning of mankind, uh, this amazing environment that God put us in. And, and what you have to understand is that this was a perfect environment, not just in temperature and all that, but there was, there was no hindrance between God the Father and us as human beings. So there was no disconnection. The love of God was perfect in every way perfect in every way, until the serpent showed up. And what he did, Satan, we know, is the serpent, tries to to pull us away from the way that we see ourselves. And so, and this is what happens, has has happened throughout eternity, for the last 6,000, 7,000 years, is that mankind has been told, did God really say that? Did, did he really say it? So that's always the question. That's always the challenge. And so there's two things or two reasons why we can't see it. First is that Satan deceives you. That's his, that's his job. He is a deceiver. His name is called accuser. He is, a, he is the father of lies. He has no ability to create. He can't do what God did. He is a created being. He is not the opposite of God. God has no opposites. On his best day, he will never be in any equivalence to the power, strength, might, and magnificence of God. He is a cre- God created him. God has no opposite. And so Satan, all he wants to do is deceive you. Deceive you how? By telling you that you're really not like God. Because that's what he said to Adam and Eve. He said, hey, listen, do you want to be like God? Now, time out. The chapter before God said, let's make man in our image. According to our likeness, let us make man. So they were already made in the image of God. And what Satan was trying to do was to question their identity. And so the second reason we can't see is what he introduced to them, disobedience or sin. So Satan deceives and sin distorts. It tells you something. It speaks to you. I thought about this this week. If sin could talk, what would it say? Good question, isn't it? If sin could talk, what would it say? This is what it would say, this won't hurt. But isn't it interesting, sin always does. Feels good at the beginning, feels real good. But then when you wake up from the club on Sunday morning, you meant to come to the first service but you're here. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to the person behind me. I can smell it. (laughs) I'm Joe. Don't say that out loud. Don't say that. If sin could talk, what would it say? There's nothing wrong with this. If sin could talk, what would it say? Everyone is doing it, so why shouldn't you? If sin could talk, what would it say? Ignore the consequences. You can deal with them later. If sin could talk, it would say, you deserve this, don't you? It would say, no one will ever know. Nobody is ever going to find out. You can hide it. If sin could talk, it would say, you're human, everybody's doing it. If sin could talk, it would say, it feels good, doesn't it? See, this is what's so great about salvation. Salvation exposes the lies and, and frees us from the slavery of that voice. That's what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. That's what being free in Jesus is all about, is that now you can recognize, oh, that's Satan talking to me right there. He's trying to deceive me because I know who I am in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm healed. I'm saved. I'm free. I'm going up. I'm busting through this wall. My marriage is gonna be great. I'm gonna be free from this. This is not gonna control me for the rest of my life. That's what salvation says. Salvation, when you you give your life to Jesus Christ, salvation speaks way louder than sin. And it exposes Satan's lies. And so all through the scripture, the Holy Spirit guides us in opening our eyes. Let me give you a couple examples. I see it all through the scripture now. And remember, once you see it, You'll never unsee it. You'll see it from now on. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, if you do our, our year-long Bible reading, you're gonna see this all through the Bible, like, oh my gosh, Pastor Troy said it. I knew, I, knew, I never saw that before. Now you're never gonna be able to unsee it. Abraham is given a promise by God. It says, you're gonna be the father of many nations. And Abraham says, oh, you're right, God, I'm 100 years old. I know how this works. Biology, like, come on. This ain't gonna work. They don't even have pills back then. This ain't, this is not gonna work ain't gonna happen, God. Like, how in the world is this gonna work? And he goes, well, Abraham, you need to recognize something. And so Abraham struggles. And so him and his wife, they talk about it, Sarah, and they talk about it, and they try to make it happen on their own. Doesn't work, because God doesn't ever want us to try to be God. He needs to be God in our life. And so he takes him. One day, he's, Abraham's in his tent, tent, and he can't, he just cannot get through his thick skull, that he's gonna be the father of many nations. So he's covered up in this tent, and and, and God says, hey, come on outside for a second. I want you to see something, Abraham. He takes him outside, and he says, look up in the sky, count the stars. And you know what Abraham does. One, two, God's like, hold on, that's not what I mean. You will never be able to count the stars because that's how many of your, your children are going to be. In other words, Abraham, can you see that I can do miracles beyond anything you could ever believe? Moses is in the wilderness. He's killed a couple Egyptians in his hometown and he leaves and now he's an insecure shepherd walking on the backside of the desert and there's a bush that's burning, but it's not burning, but it's burning, but it's not burning, but it's burning, but it's not burning, but it's burning. burning. And God says, come close, but take off your shoes because this is holy ground. And, and he says, Moses, you're gonna go back to the scene of the crime and you're gonna deliver all of my children from slavery of, of, of bondage. You're gonna deliver them out? And he's like, yeah, right. Like, I killed people back there. I can't even talk. What are you talking about? And God says, what is in your hand? And he says, well, I got this shepherd's stick. And he goes, that's way more than a shepherd's stick. Throw it down on the ground, it becomes a serpent. What Moses didn't realize is that one day he would hold up that staff and that rod of God would split the Red Sea. One day he would take that rod, he would hit a rock, and water would come out for three million of God's people. In other words, can you see what's in your hand? Don't ever discount what God has put in you. Don't ever give up on the talent that he's put in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. How about Joshua? Joshua? Joshua was taken over from Moses. And his job, Joshua's job, is to take the children of Israel into the Promised Land. And so he takes them across the Jordan, miracle. Remember, they came out of the Red Sea by the splitting of the water. They entered in the Promised Land by the splitting of the water. So they enter into the Promised Land and they come up to this insurmountable city called Jericho. Walls so big and so thick. That it just looks impossible. How many of us have come up to situations that just look impossible? Like there's no way that this marriage is gonna survive. There's no way that I'm gonna buy this house. There's no way that I'm gonna make it through college. There's no way that I can start this business. Wall, give me me some dynamite, God. Give me something to blow this thing up with. And God says, nah, just walk around it. What? walk around it every day for six days and on the seventh day walk around it seven times and lift up a shout what are you talking about in other words Joshua can you see that praise is stronger than a nuclear bomb can you see that praise can change your circumstances praise can get rid of every wall praise can change everything are you with me can you see it? A guy named Nicodemus. Let's go to the New Testament. Remember, if once you see it, you can't unsee it. Nicodemus struggling a little bit. He knows the Bible. And understand, as a religious man, he had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Come on, you easily skip that one. Like, that's Old Testament sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore. God, why did you even leave it in there? Genesis, he memorized it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the whole Torah, he memorized it. Beginning to end, knew the whole thing. But he thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. He thinks, could this be the Christ? And so he sets up an evening meeting because he doesn't want anybody to meet him. No breakfast meeting, no coffee. We're talking after dinner, after dinner, After everybody's gone to bed, let's meet with Jesus. Let's figure out if he's the guy. He sits down with him, and Jesus says to him, unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of heaven. Blows Nicodemus' mind. What are you talking about? You mean i got to enter back into my mom's womb and be born again? And Jesus is like, no, Nicodemus, you don't see it yet. You are missing. You are missing Can you see that there's more than what's right in front of your eyes, Nicodemus? That there's a spirit realm. There's a kingdom that leads the way. How about Jesus in the temple? He shows up. They're doing all this business outside. He gets mad. Jesus makes a whip, which means he is conspiring to open up a can on somebody, which tells me that it's okay every now and then to make a whip and whoop somebody. Anybody with me on that one? Not just your kids. I'm done. No, anyway, all right. Not many are with me. You don't want to raise your hand because you're on camera. So, And so he goes in and flips some tables and he gets mad and he yells out, destroy this temple in three days and, uh, and I will raise it up in three days. And everybody's like, yeah, right. Jesus took 46 years. In other words, Jesus was saying, hey, If you want to really get to the Father, it's not going to happen through a temple, through a building, through a place. It's going to come through me. How about the disciples? Matthew chapter 14. It's Saturday evening. Jesus has been preaching all day long. It's late because Chick-fil-A just closed. And his disciples turn and say, hey, listen, we got to feed these people. I don't know what to do. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They're like, well, how do we do that? And so they steal this kid's Long John Silver's number three meal, (laughs) two fish and five biscuits. They steal it from him and take it back to Jesus. Hey, look, this little kid had it. We took it from him. What do we do with this? Now, check this out. What happens is Jesus takes those two fish and those five biscuits, and the Bible says he lifts it up and he blesses it. And then he puts it into the hands of the disciples. And the disciples go and they start giving the food away. And the multiplication of the two fish and the five biscuits doesn't happen in the hands of Jesus. It happens in the hands of the disciples. In other words, can you see that when God puts something in your hand, he can multiply it? He really can multiply it. Let me just park on one of these and then we'll finish this message. The woman at the well. Probably one of my favorite stories, I love this story, John chapter four. Because I wanna ask you the question today, can you see the harvest? God every year as a church gives us a word, um, kind of a direction, a, a, a vision for the year. And this year, the word that God gave us as a church is harvest. And now last year, I, I thought because he gave us the word fruitful that we're just gonna blow up and explode. In, in other words, but, but what happened is is God did a lot of pruning in our church, which was needed because God doesn't prune what he doesn't expect fruit on. And so I, I said, all right, well, harvest, awesome. Come on, God. And he said, no, Troy, I want you to understand that when you have a harvest, it means that God, I've given you responsibility over a field and so I'm gonna issue a challenge to you as a church that you take your commitment to the kingdom of God to another level today. That you, you look, look at church as something more than just something that you check off every single week. That you decide to do something in regards to the responsibility because God isn't just giving Troy a field, he's given Freedom House a field. That field is Charlotte, that field is this region, and so will we be responsible for it? And I want you to carry that weight this year, recognizing that God is gonna speed up the process between sowing and reaping. It used to be that that it would take four or five years to sow a seed and see a harvest. No, I think it's gonna take four or five days or maybe four or five weeks We're gonna sow a seed and we're gonna see a harvest. It's gonna happen in your life. It's gonna happen in the life of our church as a whole. The harvest is coming. Can you see the harvest? And so Jesus does something in John chapter four that that I love. He, He does what's called a divine detour. He takes a little detour. Now, what we think are interruptions with God are really intentional moments that he's gonna use as an opportunity to change our life. Meaning, that he just doesn't just get interrupted. Really what happens is we go through all of our stuff and finally meet him where he's waiting for us. And so this woman ends up at a well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. She's not supposed to be there because you get water in the morning and the evening but this lady is, doesn't wanna talk to anybody. She doesn't wanna have any communication with anybody because she is the outcast in the city. She is the one that everybody's pushed away because she's been married a bunch of times, we'll see. She's, she's had all kinds of problems, and so she's getting water because she don't want to talk to anybody. And there, there's this guy, Jesus, sitting at this well, just waiting, probably tapping his foot, waiting for her to show up, just like he does with us. We go through this problem, we go through this issue, and then we bump into God. We, we thought God was late, when in reality, he's just been waiting on you just tapping his foot, waiting on you. He did it to me 30-something years ago, tapping his foot, just waiting for me. What was he waiting for? For me to recognize that I need a savior and I can't be my own. That that I can't be my own savior. That I can't do this on my own. And so this woman shows up and the transformation is pretty incredible. She goes through a progression. Just read the story. She, She first calls him a Jew because Jews aren't supposed to be talking to Samaritans, and men aren't supposed to be talking to women. And so she kind of derogatory, says, you Jews say this, and us Samaritans say this. And then the next progression is she calls him sir, maybe gives them a little bit of politeness, a little bit of honor. Hey, you're, you're here, you're actually talking to me. And then the next progression is he tells her that she has, has had five husbands and, and is, is, is living with the sixth one. And, and well, you must be a prophet. So she goes from a Jew to a sir to a prophet. And at the end, she asks him, could you be the Messiah? Could you be the one? And Jesus does two things that we need to see here in order for us to see the harvest. Number one is she tells, he tells her the truth, the truth. He says to her, you've been married five times, sweetheart, and you're living in sin. You've given up on marriage, you've given up on relationship, you've given up on covenant, and it's not going well for you. It hadn't gone well for you for a long time. That's why you're here right now. And you came to this well to get your thirst quenched, and I'm the well that you need to draw from. You can keep drawing from a relational well outside of God, or you can come to me, and I'll give you real water, living water. You you can keep trying relationships. You can keep trying jobs. You can keep trying moving to another city. But the reality is, is that you're only gonna find your peace, your joy, your happiness, your your contentment in Jesus Christ. And that's what what he says. He says, listen, you you can keep trying, but what I love is he tells her the truth. And that lets us know, sometimes you gotta tell people the truth. And it's not your responsibility how they receive it. It's not up to you to be concerned about, well, you know, if I really tell them, if I really tell my family what I believe, what are they gonna do? Listen, if someone doesn't hear the truth, it's probably because they don't wanna change from the lie that they're living. They they, they believe a lie and they don't want to see it because of Satan's deception or sin's distortion. Are you following me? That's the So it's not your responsibility to sugarcoat the truth because Jesus never did. He just said it. You've been, you've been married five times, five divorces, and you're living with this other guy. You've given up on marriage. Secondly, Jesus tells her the answer. I'm the way to God, he says, not some place or location. I know you keep talking about a location. You keep talking about a temple. You, but I'm the way. If you really want to connect with God, and she gets up, and she leaves everything that she came there for and runs back to the city, and then the disciples show up. Listen to this. I'm almost done. And at this point, his disciples came, John 4, 27, and they marveled. That he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. He told me everything. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city. So think about it. The people that she ran away from, because she heard the truth and was transformed, she went back to. And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are white for harvest. Jesus uses this kind of terminology two different times. In Matthew chapter nine, he says, the, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In order, listen, if in order to see the harvest, you must become a laborer. And that's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to you, Freedom House, is for you to become a laborer. How do I become a laborer? Three things. This is the practical part of the message, so I'd write these things down. Number one, you gotta look past. Look past what? Look past the obvious. The disciples came back and they missed the whole thing. He hadn't eaten anything. We need to get him some food. Why is he talking to that woman? Should we say anything to him? What do we do? How do we handle this? He's a Jew, they're Samaritans. We're not even supposed to talk to them. Why is he talking to that girl? He's not even, as a man, he's not even supposed to be next to a woman. Why is he talking to her? If we're gonna get in trouble, what are we gonna do? This is gonna show up on the news. Somebody's gonna post this on Instagram. Jesus talks to a woman at a well. The ministry's gonna be gone. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna go back to fish? I don't know. How are we gonna handle this? It's all, they missed the obvious. And the obvious thing is Jesus about, is about transformation. He's about sowing seed. And often God will put us in situations where we need to look past the obvious into the spiritual. Not only do we look past the obvious, but we gotta look past our limitations we got to look past what limits us, what's limited us in the past, or maybe what we see that limits others in our life. We get stuck so many times because of something that somebody did to us five years ago that we, can, we just can't let go of. Some of us, we're at home watching online right now because we're afraid to walk into a church because a church hurt us five years ago. And we have limited our growth, limited our relationship because of past things that other people did. In other words, someone else is determining your destiny and not you. Somebody else is doing it, not you. You gotta let that go. You gotta look past that. Well, what if I get hurt again? Well, Jesus is a healer. Yeah, but it hurt bad, I know. It does hurt bad. Well, can I make a whip like Jesus did? Probably not. (laughs) I'd like to. I know we all do. Let me tell you something about my job. My job is hard. People go, oh, you only work one day a week. (laughs) That's what people think. I play golf with guys all the time. They go, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Well, what do you do the other six days of the week? (laughs) I said, come to church, man, I'll see I'll introduce you to all the people that I have to help the other six days a week. The hardest part about my job is that I give all of my life into someone, and then they walk away. That's hard. That is super hard. You give all of your heart to someone that you believe in, and they walk away. You know how hard that is? Have you ever had that happen to you? Some of us have. It's happened to me probably a thousand times. Look at me. But I don't stop giving my heart. I don't stop. Because God heals me every single time. So I'm not gonna determine, I'm not gonna let someone's, Someone others hurt determined the scope of my ministry. You follow me? Have you put somebody in the way in your life? You gotta look past them. Secondly, write this down, is you gotta look up. He said, lift up your eyes. Look up, guys. You've been looking down way too long. In other words, when are you gonna get heaven involved in your circumstances? Because you've got heaven on your side. You've got the kingdom of God on your side. You've got angels that surround you. Some of you got four, five, six angels that are all around you, helping you, ministering for you, ready to move at your word, at your authority. All you gotta do is just engage them. Look up. Turn to your neighbor and say, look up. Look up because there is an army that's surrounding you that's ready to embark on your next situation. Number one, look past. Number two, look up. Number three, look out. Look out. Hey, guys, look at, look at the fields. They're white to harvest. Yeah, but our country's going to hell in a handbag. Yeah, but the fields are white to harvest. People need Jesus every day. See, here's what I think happened. I think that when he was talking to his disciples, when he said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, they're white to harvest. I think what they saw was this one girl who had been around that well 30 minutes before, an hour before, and she's leading the town that she was running away from to the one that she thought was the Messiah. That's what, that's what they saw. So Jesus says, look, look at, look at that. And all these people, that's what I, I think, all these people were walking up, and he was trying to teach his disciples, I sowed a seed i watered the seed and you're seeing a harvest reaped in her life and the entire town can you see the harvest can you see the impact that you can have in your in your neighborhood can you see the impact that you could have in your job Can you see the impact that you could have in your family? Can you see the impact you could have in your kids? Can you see the impact you can have in your marriage? Can you see the impact you can have in a kid's life or in the parking lot? Or Can you see the harvest? Can you actually see me moving in your life? Stand up on your feet. I want to just challenge you today. Challenge the church. Freedom House has been given a great responsibility. Get ready for the harvest. Hit your neighbor, say, get ready for the harvest. But you gotta remember this. You gotta remember this, Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not grow tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Hit your neighbor again and say, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Hit your other neighbor, say, don't give up. Don't give up. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he said, so my dear brothers, since future victory is sure, be strong and steady, always abounding in the Lord's work for you have, you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever wasted as if it would be there were no resurrection. Nothing that we do is wasted. Nothing that we do goes in vain. Nothing that we do. So I want you to put your hand on your heart right here. We're going to make a confession together. We're gonna make, can we see it? We're gonna make a confession together. You ready? Just say this loud, say it strong, like you believe it. Like you actually believe that once you see something in the kingdom, you can't unsee it. Say this with me. Say, God, help me to see. God, give me a big vision this year. Make me see like Abraham. Make me see like Moses. Make me see like Joshua. Make me see like Nicodemus. God, help me. To look past the obvious. To help me look past my limitations. The limitations of others. God help me look up. And engage heaven. In my life. God help me to look out. And experience the harvest. That I can see. Right now. In Jesus name. And just lift your hands to heaven. Father I thank you for the anointing of God. Rest upon your church today. Touch them open their eyes, we wanna see, we wanna see, we wanna see what we believe. We wanna see what we believe, God, in the name of Jesus. Every eye closed, every head bowed, even if you're watching online, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never given your life to Jesus. And maybe today you finally recognize that I need a Savior, I need a Savior. You've been trying to save your life all on your own for the last year, for the last five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, beating your head against a wall. Let me tell you, you'll never leave sin's disor- distortion or Satan's deception without a savior. You'll never leave him. You'll never be able to walk, walk away from Satan's deception or sin's distortion without a savior. You need a savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is that living water. Look, you can keep trying sex. You can keep trying drugs. You can keep trying money. You can keep trying marriages. You name it. But there is only one way to the Father. There is only one way that you can ironclad your freedom, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And He is here today to save your life. He saved mine thirty plus years ago, and He wants to save yours. Or maybe you knew God at one time and you you fell away from Him. You, You know who you are. You know you're not living for God. Maybe you've blamed somebody else for a long time. Hey, today's the day you stop blaming. And you take responsibility for your own life. No longer a victim, but a victor through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So make a decision today. I'm going to count to three. If you say, that's me, I want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you today. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Just do it. You know, what what, what what does it mean? Well, well, let's let God work out the details. You just take the step. Ready? One, make that decision today. Two, raise your hand. Three, I want to pray for you all across this room. Thank you. Thank you. Right here on the front, right over to the left, right in the back. I see you over to my right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over to my left. Thank you. Let's pray this together. If you raised your hand, put your hand right on your heart right now. Put your hand right on your heart. Church, let's pray as a church family. Let's make this confession over our life. If you raised your hand, say this loud enough so you can hear it with your own ears. By faith, we're going to make this declaration. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, all together. Say, Heavenly Father. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I believe that He died for me. That His blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give you my life, Jesus. I believe that you were raised from the dead so I could start over. I'm pressing the reset button. Today's the new day. This is a new year. I'm ready, God. I will worship you and I will serve you forever and ever in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap.